bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Amen to that. Amen. I welcome you again uh, to worship with us. I, just as a reminder, if, if um, in our bulletin, our program that's, that's on our website, there are uh, ways, there are questions for you to uh, kind of take, we call it taking it home, right? That our me- the message today, that, or the text today, that you would uh, take it. There's some questions there to help you take this message, take this reading home and, and reflect on it, and maybe God would speak to you. Uh, if you want to be a part of a group that does that, we do that together. Uh, there's a group that meets on Monday nights at 7 o'clock at the office down on the corner of Sharp and Liberty, and we go through the text. Uh, this week's text, we will study it. Uh, we'll talk about it, what God is, is saying to us and how he's calling us to live in response to this, to this passage. So you're welcome to join us online or in person down there. I know there's a Bible study here uh, for women on Mondays at 6 o'clock, right? And there's another one online for women at 7 o'clock. Um, so there, there are ways on Mondays for sure that you can connect and be a part of growing uh, because that's, it doesn't all happen on Sunday morning. I mean, let's be frank, it just doesn't happen all Sunday morning. Today we're, we're continuing in our study of the book of Genesis and we're, we're kind of getting to the end of the, the focus on the life of Jacob. Um, last week when we saw Jacob, he was leading his family away from his uncle Laban. Uh, he'd, been, he'd been away from home for like over 20 years. Uh, and he's, he's going home, but uh, his things didn't end really good with his uncle Laban. But that's pretty typical for Jacob's relationships. Uh, when he left home years ago, 20 years ago, he kind of left things at home in a bad way as well. Um, if you remember, he had deceived his father. He'd, he lied to his father so that he could get his brother's blessing. Uh, so he was, uh, he kind of blown up his, his family at home before he left and and now, but now here he is kind of living through that again. But his problems with his brother didn't just start when he left home 20 years ago. His problems with his brother actually go back to the beginning of their, of their life together. So today we're looking at finding Jacob, where he finds himself today in the passage, in the text that we're looking at. First, we're going to look at Genesis chapter 25, just to go back. This is where, uh, the first, where we first came aware of Jacob and his brother Esau. So I'm just going to read this. It's not on the screen, but if you have a Bible, you can go back to Genesis chapter 25. I'm in verse 21. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because he was chi- she was childless. The Lord answered his prayer, and his wife, Rebekah, became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her, and she said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. From the very beginning, there's been this this conflict. God said to her, two people from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other. The older will serve the younger. Then the time came for for her to give birth, it says in verse 24. There were twin boys in her womb. The first came out red. His whole body was like a hairy garment, so they named him Harry, Esau in Hebrew. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping on his heel, and they called him Jacob, who was the grasper, the, 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 the deceiver, the overcomer, the, the Jacob, the one who was going to outwit and outthink everybody. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. The boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country. 
while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. You might say that, that Esau was a, a country boy who could survive, like the song says, right? And, and Jacob was uh, a mama's boy, you might think of. Like, like he was more, he, was, he wasn't into all that. One was rough and tough, and one was just more of a diplomat, more of a, a fast talker. And Jacob has been sort of a relationship demolition ball his whole life. Every relationship he's been, on, been in it would swing back and forth to destroy those around or to harm those around him. But, and here he is going home. You would think there'd be a lot of excitement to go home, except, and if you've been away, I know a lot of us are from Rock Hall and this is where we've always lived, but you've even gone away and you know what it's like to go home when I'm going to get back in my bed, I'm going to get back, my dog's going to be there, he's going to be the first one to greet me, you know, I'm going to be back around my neighbors, and, and uh, yeah, the problems will still be there, but it's home, right? I'm not going to have to deal with eating fast food anymore. Like, it's going to be a relief. A friend of mine took a picture of the Bay Bridge yesterday, and she drives over it every day. She was like, I can't believe I'm excited to see this thing, right? It was like, it was like a, the things that normally I would dread because I'm coming home, I'm looking forward to. But Jacob's not there. Jacob's not there. He's messed up his relationships, and there's simply no way for him to avoid going back to deal with his brother, Esau. That's where we find Jacob in chapter 32. You've probably experienced that. You know there's a relationship that you just, you're not going to be able to avoid. You're going to go to that party, or you're going to go to that family gathering, and they're going to be there, and, and you're going to have to deal with them. Or deny that it's there, or not go. Right? We'll talk about that too. So anyway, here in chapter 32, we have a divine appointment. We have a divine appointment. Verse, verses 1 and 2 of the text says, Jacob also went on his way and the angels of God met him. He's, he left his uncle and angels met him. Jacob said, saw them and he said, this is a camp of God. So he named the place Mahana. However you say that. I'll say it fast and confident and move on, right? Because I'm not sure. So, 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 he calls it two camps. The name of the place is that Mahanam is two camps. He's got so much stuff that he has to spread it out. They can't all camp together. They've got to spread out. But he also calls it two camps because there's a camp that's his, he thinks, but this is also the place of God. So this is a divine place as well because he's encountered these angels of God. Nothing more is said about these angels, which is strange, right? He just kind of mentions the angels were there and and then he moves on. It's odd, but, but I think that's because the point of the story is it's not about Jacob finding angels. It's about Jacob finding himself in this story. I got to thinking how often we approach our lives like Jacob does here in this next part, in the next verse, because he does immediately. He has an encounter with God. He names the place, and he moves immediately on to taking care of business. It was immediately on. He, to, to send his servants out to see his brother. Immediately. He doesn't even dwell on the fact that, wow, this is, a, this is a holy place. Nope. He sends servants out to go and meet Esau. As though anything else could be more important than that encounter with those angels. But that's what he does. Because he doesn't want any surprises. Have you ever, like, uh, and this happens in our house all the time that, that someone's doing something like my wife is in the kitchen and she's at the stove and 
uh, she'll be doing something, and I kind of, I know she's there because I can hear her, but, but she doesn't know I'm coming down the hallway, and so I, like, come around and rock, you know, or boom, something like, something stupid, right, that, that she'll jump and spill something, or I'm expecting one day she's going to throw something hot on me, but I, I, maybe I should do it when she's in another place and not at the stove, but, you, right, that's how things happen. When you're startled, when somebody scares you, oftentimes you will hit them with stuff, right? My sister would do that all the time. She would hit you with a spoon or whatever was in her hand if you scared her. Like, like some people you don't want to scare. That's what Jacob's doing here. He's, he's telling his brother, he's sending servants ahead to say, Jacob's coming, Esau, because he doesn't want Jake, Esau to be surprised. He doesn't want Esau to re- overreact that Jacob is coming. He wants this to be a calming opportunity for Esau, right? He wants to calm Esau down. Like, don't, like, I know 20 years ago you wanted to kill me, but, but now I'm coming as your servant. I'm coming as, as subjecting, you're, you're the Lord. I'm, I'm going to humble myself here. Verse 26, or verse 6, says, when the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, we went and saw your brother Esau, and now he's coming to meet you. And he's like, oh yeah, and he's bringing 400 men with him. And he's like, oh my Lord. Oh, my Lord, this is what I hoped wouldn't happen. This is like, this is my my worst nightmare. I know that's what's going through his mind when he hears this, right? And what does he do? Well, well, let me ask you, what do you do? When, When the thing that you hoped would not happen is actually what starts to happen. How do you react to that? When, when you go to that party and that, that person is actually there in the door. <laughs> like, they're in the door and you walk up. Like, like do you turn around and leave? Or do you, okay, some of you are honest. <laughs> or do you, do you say, oh no, I can, I, can, I can swallow my pride here. I can, I can do this. How do you, I, I would bet that sometimes we're both. I bet sometimes we're both. Sometimes we, we're like, no, no, I'm not, gonna, I'm not running, I'm going to fight. And then other times we deny we, we hide. Because it depends on the situation. In this situation, Jacob, he has a plan. Because Jacob's always got a plan. He never fails to have a plan. It's one thing he does, and he has always got a plan. This one is made in fear. Not necessarily a good way to make plans. The first thing he does, it tells us in verses 7 and 8 of, of chapter 32, is the first thing he does is he divides all his stuff. Right, he puts all his possessions in two separate camps, moves them away from one another so that if they get attacked, well, one of them can get away. That's kind of smart. But then the smarter thing does, he does second, which would have been better if he had done it first. He prays. He finally prays. This is the first time in this text that he's really sought God's face. It really is. This is the first time that he's had a genuine prayer. In verse 9 through 12, ooh, that's going to be small to read. Sorry, but I'll read it for you. O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, who said to me, go back to your country, your relatives, and I will make you prosper. I'm unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness that you've shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed the Jordan, but now I have have become two camps. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid that he will come and attack me, and also the mothers with their children. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper, and I will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. This is a a powerful, powerful prayer. What I was talking to about with the kids. I'm going to come back to this in a minute, but but how many times does, does prayer 
find itself at the end of our decision-making process. Does that happen that way for you? Like we start with figuring things out. And then, because we're good, we're good Christian folk, right? Well, some of us. But, but we'll, eventually we'll get around to praying. Some of us. Right? We'll get around to praying. And we ask God to bless our plans. As opposed to starting in prayer and asking God to show us. I just think that's a, a, an interesting way that, that Jacob lives this out. And, and frankly, I'll, find, I'll, say, I'll be the first one to say that I pray like Jacob oftentimes. I make plans and then ask God to bless them. When I know that I ought to be asking God to show me his plans. Knowing that that's, already, that's where his blessing is, is in his plans. The prayer that he prays is one that I think that we could, we could learn something from. And I'd like to share with it with you for just a minute. You may have noticed it already today in our worship, that we started with a call to worship, and Elizabeth prayed a, a prayer of adoration. And then John A. prayed a prayer of confession. And I prayed a prayer of, of supplication, asking God. There's a reason for that. It's in this text. Verse 9. Verse 9 starts us off into a prayer that, that puts things in perspective. And that's what prayer does. That's what the prayers that we should be praying do. They put us and life in the right perspective, in a godly perspective. Verse 9 says, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, you, you who said to me, go back to your country, to your relatives, and I will make you prosper. What's he doing here? He's telling God who God is. He's lifting up, he's honoring God for, you are the father of my, you are the God of my father, the God of my grandfather. He's adoring God. He's sharing his love for God, for, what, for who he is, for who he is. How do we do that? How do we pray prayers of adoration? Because, you know, we don't use, know all these fancy theological words. We're like, we don't use this. So, so how can I pray that? An easy way is to simply pray the names of God in Scripture. How do you, how do you know God? How do you experience God? There are fancy names, Hebrew names, Adonai. Adonai, which means the authority, my, my authority, God, Abba, Daddy, one who loves me, El Elyon, the God Most High, God Most High, the one who watches, who sees all things, El Roy, who sees everything, Olam, El Olam, the God of, of everlasting God, El Shaddai. All-powerful, mighty, Elohim, the creator, the creator, the sustainer of life, Yahweh, present in all places, always with me. That's how we can pray that, that those prayers of adoration, just thanking and praising God for who he is, always with us, always strong enough, always merciful, always loving. That's an adoration. Then he moves right into verse 10. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you've shown your servant. What is that? It's a prayer of confession. That's, that's putting himself in perspective. It's easy to do when you, when you start with seeing how fantastic God is, and then <laughs> I look at myself and I'm like, yeah, and you're none of those. It's a prayer of confession. It's a prayer of confession. How far off I am from who God is. How much I need him. Confession putting myself in right perspective. 
then. I had only my staff when I crossed the Jordan, but now I've become two camps. God, you've blessed me. It's a prayer of thanksgiving. It's a prayer of praise. It's thanking God for what he's done, what he's doing, and what he's going to do. It's thanking God, being thankful for, for who we are in our relationship with him. Praying a prayer of thanksgiving, not just for your stuff, but for what God has done significant in your life. You're not sure? Go back. God is holy. I'm not. And so I can thank God all with it. If I have nothing else to thank God for, I can spend, we should be able to spend hours thanking God for, for his forgiveness, for his love, for his grace, for his generosity, for all the things that, <laughs> wow, how good is he? Then we get to do what we have been wanting to do since we started the prayer. And that's tell God what we need, or what we think we need, right? And that's what, Paul, that's what Jacob does in his prayer, verses 11 and 12. He says, save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I'm afraid that he'll come and attack me, and also the mothers with their children. He'll come and attack me, and also the kids. You know, he's kind of, he's still Jacob. But, but you've said, I will surely make you prosper, and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. You see, this is a dangerous prayer because it puts everything in perspective. Who God is, who I am, right? What he's done, and then I ask him to do what he's promised to do. Then asking him, what, what does he promise to do? I ask him to fulfill that promise in me, that I would become the man, the father, the husband, the son, the brother, the neighbor that he created me to be. That's my, that's my prayer. That's a powerful prayer because, I mean, if you don't know this, it would if God starts to use you, you become a powerful force in this world. If God uses you, if we submit ourselves to whatever God wants to do, watch out. It's a dangerous prayer. It's a dangerous prayer. But it's the one God wants to answer. And we see it answered here in the life of Jacob. He, he separates himself from his family, right? He sends... He sends his brother gifts. So it says in uh, what, verse 22 that, that he, he takes all these, he takes hundreds, right? A couple of hundred goats, a couple of hundred sheep, dozens of camels, of cows, of donkeys. And he puts them in, in groups along with their herds. And he gives them to a servant and he says, take these to my brother Esau. And when you meet him, because they're going to be walking out through the wilderness this way, and Esau's coming this way, and, and so when the first one, when you meet Esau, you tell him this. You tell him that he's going to say, uh, who do these belong to? Where are you going? He's, and you just tell him that, that these belong to your servant, Jacob. They're a gift for his master, Esau. Esau will be like, oh, wow, that's 200 sheep. Okay, well, just put them back there. And then he keeps on walking. A couple of miles later, he comes up another herd of goats. And he says, a couple hundred goats. And he says, and he says what, are you, what are these? This is my land here. What are you doing here? Where, where, what's this? He says, oh, these belong to my master, to, to your servant, I'm sorry, Jacob. Therefore, his master, Esau. He's like, oh, wow. Again and again and again, these herds of animals come before him and they're presented as a gift. As a gift. Now, you may say that that's Jacob just trying to be, you know, trying to be a schemer again. But, but no, this time he's, he's, he's showing his humility. 
in giving of gifts. He's being generous. Something is changing here in Jacob. I hope you see that. That something is changing. Verse 18. That's Jacob's plan B. They're a gift to my Lord Esau who's coming behind us. Wanting to oppress him for sure, but also letting him know that, that, that yes, Jacob is on his way. Jacob is on his way. At this point, he's done everything he knows to do. He's, he's prayed. He's, he's protected his family. He's sent gifts ahead of him. There, there's no more he can do. But it didn't sound like that Esau's interested in peace. As a matter of fact, he's interested in war, as far as Jacob knows. And that wasn't good because he was a man of strength. He was an outdoorsman, right? He was the hunter. Jacob was not any of those things. But what Jacob finds out in just a moment is that the real blessing is right here. It's right there. The real blessing is right there where he was. See, Jacob separates himself from his family. He moves them across the Jabbok River, which is an interesting name for a river when, 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 when it means emptying, like an emptying, like you're pouring out. It also means wrestling, which is interesting when you think about what's about to happen. Verse 24 tells us that, that in the dark, a man appears. A man appears and they wrestle all night. Now, we don't know, like the scriptures aren't, ex- I mean, this is actually one of the most difficult texts to understand. But, but scholars, they, they believe that this is a pre-incarnate, a pre-incarnate Jesus. This is God in the flesh somehow. Others say, no, 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 that's, that's an angel of God. And I'm, I'm not here to debate either one, and, and frankly, it doesn't really matter for my point. My point is, is that it's an all-powerful being in his presence, or certainly more powerful than, ja- than Jacob is. When the man saw that he could not overpower Jacob, though, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The book of Hosea says this is an angel uh, of God. God, an angel, irrelevant, really, for me, in this point. My question for you and for, me, and for myself as I read this text is, why did God wait? Why wrestle all night if you could touch his hip and it put out, you put out a joint? The strongest joint in the body, right? Uh, why, why wrestle all night if you can just touch him and he'd be down for the count? Right? Why do that? Why go through that? It's a good question. It made me think about when, I, when my son was little and as he was growing up, and probably those of you who have boys in the house, why we wrestled all the time. My son and I, we wrestled uh, constantly. He was always wanting to wrestle and always wanting to do that. And, and it was fun until we broke something and we both got in trouble. Uh, and we broke a lot. But it was always a good time. I mean, we, and we wrestled, you know, till he was, till I was at risk of losing. And then I called a stop to it all. <laughs> Frankly, I mean, I should just be honest about it. But, but why, do, why do dads, why do uncles, why do grandpa, granddads, why do you wrestle with your boys? Girls probably don't wrestle as much. My daughter wanted to wrestle, but it was not the same. She would not, she would not do the things my son would do. Uh, <laughs> let's just leave it at that. So, so well, why, do, why, do, why do we wrestle with our kids? I think, I, this is my thinking, and what I see in the text is that, that I wanted my son to be confident in my strength. I wanted my son to be able to know that, okay, I may not be able to, but dad's going to be able to. 
I wanted my son to know that. I also wanted my son to know, be, to be aware of his strength, of what he could do. So when he hurt me, and I would say, man, that hurts, I wanted him to know that, that there's limits. I think that's exactly what God is teaching Jacob in this text. Why wrestle all night? Because it's a teaching moment for Jacob. He's teaching him about who God is and who Jacob is. We see that played out here in the text. Look how Jacob responds. I won't bless you. I won't let you go unless you bless me. And when I read that, I was like, that's his whole life. That's his whole life in a, in a sentence. He's never let anybody go without a blessing. Every relationship he's been, he's been in, it's been a, what can I get out of it? His dad, his brother, his uncle, his cousins. Every relationship he's been in is what can I get out of it? It's never been what can I put in it. But this, this is who, exactly who Jacob is. I'm not letting you go unless you bless me. I'm not going to let you go. He struggles. He keeps struggling. And one thing I think we can learn from Jacob is that he, he struggles. He doesn't give up. A lot of times we give up too quickly when God is wanting to show us something. I think, I think we need to be willing to struggle a little bit. But Jacob had been going from relationship to relationship, leaving all of them a little bit messed up, and every time he was unsatisfied. He had to go find another one, find somebody else. That, that, that's where I'm going to get my happiness. That's where I'm going to get everything, my wealth. That's where I'm going to get my land again and again. Remind me of a quote I heard from C.S. Lewis. If we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we are made for another world. If you find yourself yearning for something that you just can't seem to be satisfied in life, that's God's way of showing us, and you weren't made for this life. You were made for the one to come. That's Jacob, searching and searching, searching for a blessing from his father, from his brother, from his uncle. When all along, Jacob had been born to be the blessing. Jacob was born to be the blessing from the very beginning. God was his blessing. His identity in God as, as, the, as the promised son of God, he was the blessing. And he'd been looking for it elsewhere all along. When all the time he needed a mirror to see himself. That's where our blessing is as well. It's, it's already provided. We're look, we tend to look for it in other places. But all the time, God sent his son, his only son, to die on a cross that the world may believe in him and be saved. Not to judge the world, not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved. To give us life, and life in its fullest. That's found only in a relationship with with God the Father, the creator, sustainer of life, Scripture promises us. Our blessing has been there all along. So if you're looking for blessing in life, it's right there. It's right here. It's right here. It's right in that cross. Matter of fact, that cross is the only other place where God emptied himself, where he, he, he poured himself out. He, he held back his strength for us, not just wrestling with Jacob, but on the cross. He could have taken the cross, jumped off the cross and healed himself, you know, and just and blew everybody down. He could have done that, but he didn't. Why? Because dying on the cross for us was part of his plan. 
So what was God's response to bless me or I'm not letting you go? What's your name? <laughs> it's an odd response. Bless me or I'm not letting you go. Well, what's your name then? We've been wrestling all night. Who are you again? Odd. Jacob's response. He's been asked only one other time in Scripture, who are you? Do you remember when it was? The only other time they asked, that Jacob was asked, who are you? In this whole story. Yeah, when it, Well, I was thinking, I was thinking when, when he went to his father. When he went to his father and wearing the, the skins, right? And he went to his dad and his dad said, who, who's, who's there? And he says, it's your brother, it's your son, Esau. Jacob said, bless me, my father. When he took his brother's blessing. God says to him, yes, your name is Jacob. Yes, you're finally getting honest with me. Yes, you're finally taking off all the deception. Yes, you're finally getting honest with yourself. Say, Jacob has actually found Jacob in this. You're getting honest with yourself about who you really are. And now God says, I didn't have the scripture and I thought I did, that, that he named him Israel because he struggles with God and overcomes. He re- gave him a new name, Israel. Israel, which means struggles with God. That's his new name. That you're no longer a deceiver. That you're no longer, that, that's no longer your identity. I mean, oftentimes the, the names we call our kids, even if they're a joke, those become our identity, their identity. I mean, you may not think that's a big deal, but, but trust me, it is a big deal. That when you tell the kid, oh, you're just bad. That, yeah, that's who I am. Yeah, when, when you just tell them they're a troublemaker all the time. That, that, don't be surprised when they become a troublemaker, right? Like, like those names, even we live into those names that we've been told who we are. God says, Jacob, you've been a deceiver your whole life. I'm changing your identity. Changing your identity. You are now Israel. You're one who struggles and overcomes. You're an overcomer. New identity. A new name. And a new limp because he was touched in the hip. Right? Scripture later in the Bible refers to God whenever it talks about them, who is God, right? God will refer to himself, and in other passages it will say that, I am God of Abraham. I am the God of Isaac. I am the God of Jacob. And you think, well, why, why say the God of Jacob when you change his name to Israel? Why not say God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Israel? But again and again in Scripture, it goes back to referring to Israel as Jacob. Why? I think because our, our spiritual growth, our walk with God, is not a, a straight line up and to the right. That's not the way our walk with Jesus, our walk with God is. It's not, it's not straight. It's not planned. It's not scripted like that. It's not that simple. Relationships are complicated. Lives are complicated. It's a process. It's a process of growing to become 
who, to, to find out who we are and to live into that. In order to do that, we have to stay connected to God. Staying connected to Him. Jacob, a new identity, a new name to go along with it, and a limp that, that changed the way he lived. That changed him physically. It's the same for us. When we submit to God, when we, when we continue to struggle with God until we experience Him, then He changes our lives. He changes us. So, when you hear the God of Jacob, I, I, I want you to know that you, I, that that's an invitation to identify with that. Because it's not just God of Abraham, the one who got the promise, the one who pioneered, the one who's the strongest faith. It's not just God of Abraham. It's not just God of Isaac. God of Isaac who, who followed the God of the followers. It's not just the God of the pioneer or the follower. It's also God of Jacob. The one who seems to get in his own way more times than not. He's the God of that one too. He's the God of us. He says, I'm the God of all of you. Know me as I am. That's his invitation to you today. To come to know him as the great I am. Who loves you no matter where you are in your walk. But he has a purpose for your life. Far greater than you can dream or imagine. That's held in, in, in waiting for you in heaven. It's available to you freely by faith. I'd like to pray for you. God. We praise you. We thank you for your goodness, for your mercy. God, we thank you for how you show us ourselves as we read these stories about men and women of faith. God, how we can find ourselves in there if we just take a moment to open our eyes that we may see. God, for those who are here today who are forced (laughs) just by their presence to think about their relationship with you, God, I ask that you would give them a word of encouragement. Encourage them with your presence here today. Call us all back into a a closer walk with you, Father, that we may praise you in all the things we do. Lord, you are good, and your mercy knows no bounds. We love you, and we praise you for who you are. Amen.